Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I'm at the Arclight Summit in Dallas, Texas. This is a new event, a new industry opportunity for people to get together and not only see new things, catch up with people, but hear from a variety of speakers that you might not necessarily hear at every lighting conference. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Tony Esposito and Jason Livingston. Tony is the founder and head research scientist at Lighting Research Solutions. Jason is the principal of Studio TL. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. How's everything going? Great. Thanks for having so us. So far, so good. How's your time been at Arclight so far? I know that you've been action-packed, presenting on color, showing people some pretty cool interactive demos, talking about TM30, and we're obviously going to catch up more on that today. Have people's jaws hit the floor when you show them what's going on? I think so. When people see what an existing light source looks like versus what some preferred light sources could look like, they're impressed. What do you think, Tony? I would agree. Yeah, very impressed. It's Once you could see it in person, it changes everything. It's easy to get lost in the numbers, but once you put the numbers to the visual experience, it makes sense. It's definitely easy to get lost in numbers. Data is a big thing. The world is full of data, 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 data. Can you say data five times fast? Is that a good tongue twister? I can't, can't quite figure that data, out. Data, 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 Jason. Data, 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 data. That was only four. Data. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk a little bit more about color. We're going to talk about this metric known as TM30, which is a published metric. It was first published in 2015 by the IES. And you both sit on the color committee at the Illuminating Engineering Society, which has done a lot of really, really hard work to not only create TM30, but push it forward with something as recently published as NXE as it's now referred to. But before we dive into this and what it's doing and how it's changing the landscape, I want to just back up a little bit and talk fundamentally about color and how it's rendered. Why does this matter and what's driven you both to focus on this so much? Well, for starters, the reason that color rendering matters is that we care about the appearance of our environment. I expect that tree to look green. I want that tree to look green. If I have a light source that makes it look gray, I'm not having a good time. Beyond that, lighting designers can, if the spectrum that we have available to us is right, we can do some pretty amazing things with regard to accurately revealing colors as they're expected or revealing colors in a way that they are preferred. And that's exciting. It's exciting to me to be able to close out, right, to to put the final touches on an architectural space. This is obviously something that uh, you understand you're passionate about. When you look at your career, you know, how did you get a start in lighting and why is this something that you've chosen to really zero in on? I began my career as a stage lighting designer. And so the use of color is something that I have always paid attention to and been very interested in. My initial transition into architectural lighting, I had to give a lot of that up, right? Because in architectural spaces, it's just all about white light. And when I learned about the color committee and some of the things that they were beginning to do, I thought, oh, this is a way that I can take, you know, my prior experience and keep working on issues of color. I thought that I was a genius having been a theatrical lighting designer. And what I learned was that I was a genius in a very, very narrow way, working with manufacturers and and vision scientists and color researchers. It's a bit of a pun, but my eyes have been opened to a much, much fuller, much 
frankly, much more complicated world of color. But that's exciting too. And when you talk about being a genius in a narrow way, I have to assume it's the ability to put like the right blues and reds or warms and cools on a stage and create this amazing emotion that literally truly is embracing color as opposed to rendering color with white light. Exactly. As a stage lighting designer, I was never terribly concerned with making a costume or making a piece of scenery or making an actor appear the way they do when they're standing out in the sun or when they're standing in their living room. It was always about crafting an environment that was visually and emotionally supportive of that production and that moment in the production. Tony, what about you? I know that you're a scientist, you're a data-driven sort of human being with a a background in um, engineering from Penn State University. What has given you the excitement to really dive into color as a science? Yeah, I sort of stumbled into the lighting industry first off and then made my way through different rounds. I was an electrical contractor and I did some estimating and then I was a lighting designer for a short period of time. And when I stumbled onto color science in one of my late classes at Penn State, I just fell in love immediately. It's technical and it's numbers and it's science, but we get to take these really complex topics and relate it to how we perceive the world. And it's really fascinating. And then to just think about color from a philosophical point of view, you know, we, we do a lot of data and numbers and estimating and trying to predict the visual experience ultimately, but to think about color at a more philosophical level, trying to understand how I see color versus how you see color and color is a perception of the world and color isn't an intrinsic value of objects. It's sort of a result of light and object and eyes. And so once I first learned about it, I fell in love and I've been doing it ever since. Falling in love with light is not a bad thing. That's right. There's some stickers on the table here that say, I love lights. We all love lights. A lot of people love lights. And what's funny is sometimes they don't even know it. Lighting designers will often say their work is best received when somebody walks into the space and just says it looks good and the lighting is playing a key component of it. Everybody knows bad lighting. Everybody knows when your color of your skin is gross. Everybody knows when the shadows are harsh, but nobody really takes time to say, oh, this is great lighting and I look really nice today thanks to the lighting. Like it's just a general statement, but light has such an impact on it and color and how it's rendered so that like Jason said, the tree looks green is super important. TM30 is a, is a new metric, but I wanna start from the foundation of what everybody has talked about. CRI, why did CRI gain so much traction? And given the fact that there's been a new metric around for six years, why is it still out there and dominating the scene? One of the things that CRI had working for it was that it was sort of first to the scene. So it was one of the first robust color rendering metrics available. And so when it was published, it was early and it was first. And at the time, the variability in commercially available light sources was very low. The spectrums were pretty homogenous. Light sources didn't have as much flexibility as they do today. And so it worked for a long time. It was, it's never been perfect, but for a long time it did work. You can imagine there was a point in time where there was just two or three big manufacturers of light sources, and one of them may have had one number, and the other one had a different number. And so, I mean, you had Philips, you had GE. I wasn't going to say it. You had Osram Sylvania, (laughs) and they all made fluorescent lamps, and the color metric was built around the action spectrums and the spikes and the kind of light that they put out there. So it was it was was useful for distinguishing between those lamps. Yep. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it did work for a long time. And when we got LEDs, and you could change their spectrum as simply as you can change your clothes. CRI broke down. It was no longer useful for distinguishing between commercially available light sources. And so we need something new. 
it was like the DJ booth, right? Like back in the day, you put an eight track record on a turntable and you put the needle on top of it and you push play. And today it's an electronic song and there's 14 sliders and 16 knobs. That's right. It's still music. We're still listening to it, but the ability to control what you listen to is so much more granular. And that's what LED has done to our industry. And it's a great thing, but you can't use a a needle on a record on a digital track. That's a great analogy. Yet somehow we're still trying to do that to a certain extent. How did that really finally come to a head and TM30 was created. So CRI, as you've mentioned, it's been around a long time and it's been standardized for since 1965 and it hasn't really changed very much since then. But scientists have been working since then, right? And so measures have gotten better over time and there's no shortage of research proposals and color rendering metrics. So the, the science has been progressing over the past 50 years despite you know standards organizations not updating the metrics. And so we got to a point where we recognize that the industry needs new measures to deal with all of the variability that LEDs can bring. And so a task group was formed within the IES to tackle that problem. And th- this is where TM30 came from, was an attempt to provide a system for the industry that could be used to deal with this new problem that LEDs brought. And at a high level, what is that system and how has it been established? Color perception is multidimensional. And one of those dimensions is color fidelity. CRI is a measure of color fidelity and no more than that. But there are other dimensions of color perception and the old system just cannot deal with those other dimensions. At a high level, TM30 introduces other measures so that we can capture the other dimensions of color perception. Yesterday in one of our seminars, a similar question was asked and my response was that the difference between CRI and TM30 is the difference between a one-dimensional system that is just a line versus a three-dimensional system. TM30 allows us to examine color rendering in ways that are different from fidelity. And that's really important because fidelity really is just a single axis. What does fidelity provide us? So fidelity, we can use a couple words here like faithfulness and comparison. And so fidelity tells us how faithful our light source will render colors compared to some familiar reference illuminate. So those illuminates are usually at the same CCT as your light source, and they're usually broad spectrum, black body radiation or daylight. And so all we know when we talk about color fidelity is how far away we are from our target. We don't know in which direction, and in color perception, direction really matters because we can change, say for example, a red apple. We can cause that red apple to increase in saturation or decrease in saturation. But so long as the magnitude of that difference is the same, color fidelity cannot detect it because it can only tell us how far away we are. And so this is why we need other measures to tell us in which direction, because what we find over and over again is that some directional changes are really highly preferred and some directional changes are really highly not preferred. And that preference, how is that measured? Is that a quantitative calculation? Is that based off what people have told you through surveys or you know, how do we better understand all of that. At a baseline, it's pretty simple. You show a group of people a large array of light sources and you ask them how much they like it. To get a little more scientific, you can strategically vary the light source in very particular ways. And you could do research about which words are best to use when you ask somebody if they like it which some work has been done and some of that I have participated in. And you could do that strategically over a different, say for example, in TM30 across all of the range of values. And then you will find that some of those sources people really don't like. Some of them 
react quite viscerally, right? People don't like when their skin is really highly desaturated. And then you will find a basket of other sources that people really like. And those tend to be the ones that increase the chroma or saturation of red objects. And so we can do this methodically to try to find the areas and regions of color space and color rendition that people respond favorably to. In getting people to respond favorably in these technologies or different sources that you speak of literally can be done through a single technology today, right? You can take LED and you can shift the way that source emits light so that it renders things in a different way. So it's given you an opportunity to, as you said, scientifically and very accurately almost predict what's going to happen and then validate results to somewhat extrapolate that across maybe what may become available that's not available today, giving TM30 an opportunity to be future-proof as opposed to being stuck in time. It's actually one of the things that is kind of exciting about Annex E and the three different design intents is that when CRI was the only metric, the only thing that manufacturers could say was, oh, look at how good our our color render, our fidelity is. But now that we have these other categories of color rendering goals, it opens up a world, potentially opens up a world to manufacturers to say, well, this light source does not have really high fidelity, but the reason that it doesn't is because it's distorting colors in a way that people like. And we now have the science to show that this is a highly preferred light source. I want to dive into the science behind it. I want to dive into what's happened so far and how that's changing. We're going to take a quick break though. And when we come back, we're really going to say, here is TM30. Sound good? Sure. Wonderful. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. The Light Pod is brought to you by Lada, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast, and of course, a bunch of fun, short, and informative videos that talk about light, that celebrate light, that document it, and maybe even show you a cool new thing or two. Check them out. That's L-Y-T-E-I. Dot com. And welcome back. Over the break, Tony, Jason, and I were catching up just a little bit more about what's going on with TM30. While it is a standard that was written and published six years ago, it has seen some adoption in very specific areas that make a lot of sense. But in an effort to continue to push it into the entire industry, let it be a little bit more mainstream and then potentially even be adopted as a, shall I say, true utter replacement for CRI is the next step. And we're on our way there. Talk to me just a little bit more about what's going on with this standard and the metrics that are being built out of it. TM30 has been adopted or incorporated into a number of other systems or specifications. So it's now part of the Design Lights Consortium version 5, I believe it is. It's one of the compliance paths for well building. The Department of Defense has adopted it in their document that sets requirements for medical facilities. So people are seeing usefulness and they are adopting it. More recently within the IES, we have uh, analyzed some studies on TM30 and used that data to construct specification values that designers can put into their specs so that they can control the quality of light, the color and quality of light that they're going to be get. And that document we call Annex E. Yeah, and I'd like to say that we're doing a lot of work 
to try to make TM30 both easier to use and easier to understand. So NXE is our attempt at making it easier to specify. So TM30 has many, many measures, most of which are useful to scientists, but it's not practical to specify 140 measures of color rendition. And so NXE is an attempt at simplifying the specification process. And so we try to make TM30 easier to use. And then we also do a lot of educational outreach to try to help people understand TM30 and why it's important and how these numbers correlate to vision. Like as you mentioned, we're here doing a live demo. And so once you show people that these numbers work, a light bulb goes off or on. It goes, <laughs> it definitely goes on. It goes on. <laughs> so we're doing a lot of work both within and without, you know, outside of the committee to try to increase adoption and understandability of TM30 and the measures. And so we hope that that helps. When you look at this, you mentioned that Annex E is out there to help make it easier to specify. It would allude to the sense that the design community is the one that asks for this. They're the one who sees the value in the standard. What does that shake out to be when you look at the folks who are manufacturing this stuff? It's a chicken and an egg question. Does the specifier first request it or does the manufacturer first provide it? What we do see is that manufacturers who have started reporting it have begun using it to market new ways of thinking about color and new ways of rendering color. And so we have seen some manufacturers come onto the market with light sources optimized using TM30 in the preference categories. And I think from the other side, the designers who get it, who understand how powerful it is, they are requesting the values. And so a lot of the difficulty is just because it's new. Yes, it's been around for six years, but that's a relatively short timeline compared to 50 years of CRI. And so I don't think that because it hasn't swept the industry 100% in just a few years, that it's not going to increase in adoption over time. I do think that just five or six years is relatively short in the grand scheme. And we need to be thinking about what it's going to look like in 20 years when the students who are learning about TM30 in school now become the lighting designers, lighting buildings. And so it's a slow trickle and change is hard. And I also think that lighting designers, if you're having a good year, you're busy, 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 busy. And you don't always have time to teach yourself something new. I've had my fair share of designers say to me, it's too big. It's too much. It's too hard. CRI is wait, easy. Wait, 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 yeah? wait, wait. It's too big, it's too much, and it's too hard. Yes. But it's the single most important metric behind the sources they put into space, and they know it's outdated. I, what do you mean they don't have the time I to stop am, and learn well, about it? Well, I wish that I could defend that position better. I'm not asking you I'm to. I'm only I'm, reporting the complaints that I fielded. And the complaints are, you've given us too much information, and we don't have enough time to use it, so you published NXE to simplify it. Yeah, well, CRI is the easiest thing in the world to use. It's one number, and the belief is higher is better, which is not necessarily it's, true. But yeah, but CRI is fake. It's built off seven color samples, and yours is built off 99. Yeah, it's inaccurate. It's like you want your red Chevy from 1966 and it shows up and it's a green Ford. Why is this so hard? Or um, is it not hard and it's just changed it's, and we need to, as an industry, step up? We need to say that we need to acknowledge we know more. We have the ability to control light more. And now is the time to sit here and take the time and management to adopt it. I mean, you guys are here doing demos, but you can only do so many demos before you got to go to bed, before you got to eat, before you got to sleep, before you got to do everything else. And I think a lot of it does come back to education. Yes, we are doing these demos. We have shown in these demos, if, if you can see the control that TM30 gives you, the information that it gives you, you get a visceral response and you are ready to adopt it. And I think that a lot of designers are like, well, what I've been doing has worked well enough. And what we're trying to show them is what you've been doing 
Not only that, but what manufacturers have been giving you has been satisfactory. And if you could see a light source that is excellent at color rendering, you would immediately become dissatisfied with what you've been doing. I think it's also worth noting that lighting designers have really good eyes. They know what they're looking at. And so oftentimes any lighting designer you speak to will talk about the importance of getting samples right? of a mock-up mm -hmm. of a mock-up yes. mm -hmm. and part of what they're doing when they evaluate that is they're gaining information that the measures cannot provide them and so they may look at a CRI 80 light source and really like it and they may check a different one and really hate it but what they're doing is, is they're using their experience and their understanding of what color should look like to pick one over the other this is information that numbers can now tell us measures from TM30 can do that work for us. And by the way, it's not just measures. You have a graphical representation right. of what you're looking at. Several. I mean, you have gone beyond just numbers. Right. You have graphical representations that won't mimic, but are the first step in saying, well, your visual system sees, you know, light reflected in a space and how color is rendered. So here's a metric, here's a standard that has graphical representations around it too. You're giving an Apple's opportunity to learn about the same sensory system that's going to actually perceive it in the space. Yes, we've built into, for, for manufacturers, built into the free calculator, three graphical outputs, one that is conceived of as being roughly a quarter of a page, one a third page, and one a full page. So as they're designing their cut sheets, one of the things that we're saying is you have to do no work. Pick one of these, print it, drop it in. Pick one, print it, and drop it in. That's all you have to do. It seems very easy because it is. That's our bumper sticker idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of bumper stickers that yeah. we can make about TM30. I think there's a lot to obviously dive into behind the science of it. But I want to come back to what you said earlier. When designers see it, mm -hmm. they want to adopt it. And what TM30 is really about is naturally creating scientifically a more accurate number, but at the same time, empowering them. Like TM30 is here so that everybody can better understand what you're going to get, what you're going to look at. It's not about having the highest number. This isn't fifth grade soccer. This isn't even horseshoes. This is you have a preference, you are lighting an environment for a group of people, and we have data that can accurately depict all of that. So who cares what the number is? Just make sure the number is the right number based on what you need. And the education really comes on the forefront of not saying, here's a new metric, here's how you use it, and here's why you should adopt it. Rather, here's a new metric that empowers you and enables you and gives you the opportunity to more clearly define what you need specified, what you need shipped, built, and ordered based on the intent of which it is, what you want your clients to be able to see when you're done with the project. And that's what's super exciting about it is that we're not locked into one world, which is the world of fidelity. And with Annex E, we are able to have additional color rendering design goals. We can say, I'm less interested in fidelity than I am in rendering colors in a way that people like. And we couldn't do that with CRI, but we have very clear specification numbers that we can use with TM30. Walk me through the new specification numbers in Annex E and how it works. Sure. So we can think about TM30 in sort of four main really important functional parts, some of which are already familiar. So we'll talk about RF. RF is TM30's color fidelity measure. It's conceptually similar to CRI, although the mathematics are very different. So if you're familiar with CRI, RF is conceptually similar, although much more scientifically accurate. It's a stronger predictor of color fidelity. We have the second measure, which is called RG, which is a gamut area. What RG tells us is the average increase or decrease in saturation of objects 
relative to the reference light source. So we need to always think about relativity when we're thinking about color rendering because we're always measuring against some goalpost. Right? So color fidelity is just telling us how far away from our goalpost we are. RG is telling us, okay, if we're far away, are we increasing or decreasing the saturation of objects relative to a reference? But that importantly doesn't give us any information about specific colors. And so that's where we bring in some other measures, one of which is called RFH1. So whenever you think or read about TM30 and you see H1, that talks about Hubin 1, you should immediately think about red. In the same way when you're using CRI R9, you hear R9 and you think red. In TM30, that reference is H1. Hubin 1 is red. And so we have RFH1, so the red fidelity of the red Hubin, is also conceptually similar to R9, although again, very mathematically different. And again, this is just telling us how far away from our goalpost we are, for red specifically. And then the last really important suite of measures is called, this is gonna be a little complicated, so let's break it down, RCS HJ, okay? CS stands for chroma shift because we want to know our objects increasing or decreasing in saturation. And then HJ is just because there are multiple bins of color, H1 being red. And so this last measure really tells us our objects, specifically red objects, increasing or decreasing in saturation. And so we can use those four measures and different combinations to achieve different end goals in lighting design, which is what Annex E does. And the reason that we're specifically paying attention to red is that we've got decades of research going back that demonstrates that red is key, perhaps the single strongest color that <laughs> indicates how we're going to perceive the rest of the color spectrum or the rest of or the rest of the color range. And so we don't need to look at every single color turning a potential four number specification into a 14 number specification. We can use red as a control and use it reliably. You know that the way we respond to red, we will respond to the rest of the colors based on the research and science that's been done. Yes. So let's say that you create a bunch of light sources that distort objects in all kinds of different ways, and you ask people, which of these do you like and which of do you not like? People will repeatedly say that they like when you distort objects that increase the saturation, most nominal colors. If you ask those same people, which colors influenced your choices the most? Almost always red is first and orange is second. And so what we find is that people respond and are very highly attracted to red. That's why it is in the Annex E table. Red is really powerful and we're really good at detecting those differences the human visual system is. And so red is important for skin and red is important for humans and face-to-face -face contact and healthcare and lots of different applications where red is really important. And so that's why it's in the table. So you've got Annex E, you've got four, what we'll just call more refined metrics out of TM30, which is a standard that's published six years ago. When you look to the future, you look forward, you think about what might come next for this industry. What's your hope? Where do we go from here? The first thing that comes to mind for me, because I'm a color geek, is that 2019, the DOE released a report showing the trend line for the increasing efficacy of both white and colored LEDs. And that report says or suggests that by 2030, a red, green, blue, amber fixture will be as efficacious as a white fixture. And that moving into the 2030s, your RGBA lighting fixtures are going to be more energy efficient than a single CCT white. And that opens up a beautiful world and potentially a Pandora's box of color rendering and control systems. And I 
think that, um, or I would like to think, that the future holds the, uh, the ability to take the SPD of the individual LEDs and put them into the control system so the control system knows what it's doing. And then we would be able to do ideally very simple things like push a button that says, give me a preferred light source or push a button that says, give me a high fidelity light source. Or to simplify it even more, saturate the room and fill me with energy or... Let's have a party. Or let's have a party. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, we want this to live way outside of the community. We want this to live all the way into the end users. Mm -hmm. We can quantify all that. Yeah. We can ask them the very easy question. Do you want this room to feel like it gives you energy or lets you have a party? And we can backtrack with science specifications and opportunity to do that. How about you, Tony? I think LEDs are remarkable. They've given us a level of spectral flexibility that lighting has never had. It's really remarkable. And we can change the spectrum in remarkable ways incredibly quickly. So what that really allows us to do is change color rendering on a dime, explore the whole color space of color rendering and do all of the different things that other light source technologies couldn't do. And so to use your analogy earlier about the DJ with all of the sliders, imagine if you have the most technically advanced control board that you've ever had, that the music industry has ever had. But when you're DJing, all you do is move one slider. That's where we are in the lighting industry. We have the most powerful lighting tools that have ever existed, and we're only moving one slider. And so what I hope is that when what Jason referenced, when color mixed LEDs become much more efficacious and a direct competitor to phosphor converted LEDs, that we will see people taking the opportunity to explore all of the things that LEDs can do, create songs that have never been created. Make an even bigger board with more options. That's right. But allow you to simply control all of it and understand what's happening. I bet you we didn't think we were going to end up about talking about DJs and TM30 <laughs> today, but that's where we're at. Gentlemen, thank you so, so, so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for your commitment to TM30, to educating, to seeing it through, to serving on the color committee, and to everybody else that is a peer of yours that does that as well. You're doing amazing work. You're helping our community out. You're helping push us in the right direction. I can't speak for everyone, but I'll act like it. We appreciate yeah. it. We, we, we really, really do. I know I do. And I know uh, so many people appreciate what you're doing to continue to help them uh, also challenge themselves and be better in their design. If people have questions, if they want to see one of these demos, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? They can send us a direct email, but they can also reach out to us through the contact us page on the IES website and they'll forward it to, to Tony and I as co-chairs of the color committee. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's IES.org. You can go to contact us, follow the request for color, learn a little bit more about color. You can also hit up Tony and Jason on LinkedIn. They're both there. They'd be happy to talk to you. Hang in there, guys. Thanks for coming to Arclight. Thanks for catching up with me and the rest of the crew. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you for having us, Sam. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.